0: Hi, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning in. This week, we are going through Genesis 22. Last week in Genesis 21, we saw the promised child, uh, Isaac, was born. After waiting 25 years, Sarah has her son, Isaac. Abraham has his promised son and the Abrahamic covenant uh, that I will make you a great nation and I will bless the whole world because of you or through you, I should say, is started in that next step of the first, uh, the next patriarch after Abraham is Isaac. This week, we are going to see Abraham tested. Uh, His faith is tested in a way that is just, uh, it's pretty crazy. Uh, I don't know how many people could um, pass this test that God puts Abraham through. Why don't you bow your heads and let's give this time to God. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the means that we have to be able to do these videos. Uh, Thank you for the technology that allows us to be able to study your word and share it and study it together with people from all over the world. I thank you, Lord. Lord, for those people who are watching and listening uh, along with me right now, I pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts, open our minds and speak to us, Lord. Uh, Teach us something about your will, about your character uh, through the patriarch Abraham, and the test that you put him through. Uh, Lord, I pray that I will be a vessel, uh, that I will be an instrument approved. Speak through me, Lord. probably pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I am going to read through all of Genesis 22. It's not that long. Um, and then we'll come back and we will um, break it down into the verse-by-verse, as we usually do. And then we will do uh, modern-day application So, uh, picking it up on Genesis 22 verse one, some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love Isaac and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. The Lord, excuse me, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Be'er Sheba and Abraham stayed in Be'er Sheba. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor, Uz, the firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Kamuel, the father of Aram, Kassid, Hazo. Pildash, Jadlaf, Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Ramah, also had sons Tabah, Gahama, uh, Tahash, and Makah. Genesis 22. Okay, let's dig into this. This is a very interesting chapter with a lot of stuff happening in it. Uh, And I'm going to go through and focus more on the individual little elements. And then when we get through 22, I'll focus on the big picture uh, point of this passage and the takeaway. Okay. So the first thing when I read this um, again, a couple weeks ago in preparation that jumped out to me is in verse two, take your son your only son. This is God speaking to Abraham. He says it again in verse uh, 12. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And then again in verse 16, your son, your only son. So without doing any digging and, and research and, and context of what other scholars have, have um, speculated and, and, and what they found, et cetera, I was troubled by this because what does this mean? What what does it mean that God is clearly calling Isaac his only son? Ishmael uh, is now, uh, well, not at this point, but in in chapter 21, is 14 years old uh, and has been Abraham's son for that whole period of time. What does it mean of Ishmael? What does it mean that God is saying that Isaac is your only son? And it, it troubled me. It was like, I just, I just don't know the answer to that. Uh, what does it mean of Ishmael, the Ishmaelites, um, and Abraham uh, uh, sleeping with Hagar? Um, and we, I mean, we discussed that. that that's all in, uh, what chapter is that? 16. You can go and watch chapter 16 to learn all about uh, Hagar and Ishmael and Hagar and uh, fulfilling um Sarai, uh, not being able to have kids, presents her uh, handmaiden Hagar uh, for Abraham to sleep with uh, so that the the family line can continue. And as I spoke of, in our context today, when we read that, we're like, what? Oh my gosh, why why would this be okay? Uh, But in the historical cultural context of the day, this, that wasn't that crazy to do. Um, Continuing the line was absolutely critical. And if a woman was barren, Uh, not able to have kids, Uh, the next thing to do is to have a servant in your household uh, bear children so that the the family line could continue. So what does it mean for all of that? And the research that I found solidifies the fact that Abraham sleeping with Hagar was a sin. It was uh, uh, not God's Uh, will for Abraham. Abraham was supposed to uh, wait and be patient on the Lord, and Sarai's suggestion, um, we talked about it when we went through that chapter, was that uh, did Abraham seek the Lord in this? So there's two things to to point out. The fact that God clearly says that Isaac is your only son is showing that the Abrahamic covenant, the promise that I've made for such a long period of time, will be fulfilled through Sarah's son Isaac. The other thing that's so significant to this, though, that that yes, it does make it clear God's perspective that um, Ishmael was not in the plan. Was not in God's plan. But at the same time, God forgets our sins. He 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 remembers our sins no more, and and keeps them as far as the east is from the west. And that's the idea of this. Is that 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 one scholar that I read, that, and I, I appreciate this, is that this is an illustration of how God sees our sins, uh, our past transgressions, the things that. Uh, w- w- We repent of, that God remembers them no more. That when you repent and when you ask for forgiveness because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, uh, our forgiveness is granted. And that we see that uh, here is is that uh, he he totally, uh, from God's perspective of Abraham, is that that transgression with Ishmael uh, being born... Um, doesn't affect the covenant, doesn't affect God's plan, but at the same time, God still blesses Hagar and still blesses Ishmael. When we sin, when we screw up, it's not like it thwarts it God's whole plan and that we're ruined because we're imperfect and that uh, um, all of a sudden now everything's lost. No, absolutely not. We are imperfect uh, beings that screw up constantly. And it's within that, that that God's grace can shine on us. And that's what, that's when I, the research I found, that was what I discovered is, is that oh, the overwhelming sense is just simply that um, <sighs> Abraham should not have slept with Hagar, uh, but that God still does what God's going to do and still blesses Abraham. And despite that, uh, he still blesses Ishmael. Uh, and the Ishmaelites, and Hagar. Okay, moving on. Verse 2, also, take your son, your only son, whom you love. This is the first mention of the word love. I've mentioned this before, but one of the principles of hermeneutics, when you study uh, the Bible and proper study and proper exegesis, first mention, the principle of first mention the first time a word is mentioned, it carries heavier weight than the latter times that it's mentioned. And so when you're studying anything, when you do a word study, uh, you should go and see what the first mention is. This is the first mention of the word love, which is interesting to me because I would have thought that it would be further in cre- uh, further back in creation. When God creates the world, when God creates man, when God creates Adam and Eve, Uh, you would think that love would be put there. No, the first time that it's mentioned is here uh, in reference to a father's love for his son. We'll come back to that. Also in verse two, the region of Moriah. The past few chapters, Abraham has been living in between uh, Gaza and 'er Beersheba, down in southwest uh, Israel, north. Uh, east of Egypt, in the desert region, the Negev, right? So he travels up to the region of Moriah. Now, at this time in history, there's really nothing there. Uh, And there's the mountain of Moriah, Mount Moriah. Uh, Later on in history, what's going to happen is the Jebusites are going to settle here. And King David is going to defeat the Jebusites. And it's on this location... Um, in which King David, uh, in 2 Samuel 24, 18 through 21, King David builds an an altar to the Lord, and the location is on the threshing floor of uh, Eravna, the Jebusite. This would also be later on where King David, in that same spot where he builds the altar to the Lord, he decides to build his city, the city of David, Uh, is built here uh, on the hillside on the mountain of Mount Moriah. We'll come back to that again later on as well for the significance of that. Verse three, I find this very interesting is, is that verse two, God tells Abraham, you know that son you've been waiting for uh, for 25 plus years? Uh, and at this point, it's probably 35 to 40 years that he's been waiting or more that, 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 since he first was given the uh, Abrahamic uh, covenant in, in Genesis 12. It's been a long time. God tells him, I want you to sacrifice your son. The next morning, early the next morning, he leaves to do it. I find that interesting. That jumped out to me. Uh, Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. God called and he immediately responded. There are times in our lives where God gives us a clear call and a clear uh, statement of, of what we're supposed to do. And so often, and I'm sure you can relate to this as well, really God, is that really what you want me to do? I mean, that's what I'll end up praying is, is that, and, and the reason being is because, uh, it's either challenging, uh, or it goes against the world and this battle that we constantly face of living in the world, but not being of the world is God calls us to be separate to stand out. And there's so many times where God calls me to do something and I I hear his voice, I hear his call, so clear, but yet I wait uh, because I, I, I drag my feet because I know, you know, it's like, oh, but really, do I really? And Abraham is faithful. That is the conclusion of this entire chapter is Abraham is faithful. He gets this call and the next morning, early the next morning. Verse five, we see here mentioned boy, okay? Um, He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. This is uh, mentioned, boy is mentioned several times. Also in verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy. Um, And that's the last time the term, the boy is used. Now, something that in doing a word study... Uh, Blue Letter Bible. Uh, I've done a, 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 We've talked about that. There's a, a separate video specifically on what Blue Letter Bible is. In fact, I will put that in the bottom right at the end of this, is how to use Blue Letter Bible to do a word study. Great resource, blueletterbible.org. So I did that doing a, a, a word study of boy and looked at, first of all, um, this verse itself. I want to know how old is Isaac? Right, so this word "boy," uh, different translations. So your translations that you that you are using might say "lad." The King James Version says "lad" as well as others. "Young man." The Amplified Bible (AMP) the Amplified Bible says "young man," and so I did the word study, and the word is "neer." N a uh, apostrophe a r neer. Uh, which it it occurs 238 times in the King James Bible, this word, "naer," But it can be boy, it can be child, it can be young man, it can be servant. Uh, And there's actually other, uh, along with that, child, uh, I already said that one. Um, Boy, child, young man, servant. So it occurs 238 times in the King James Bible. 76 times uh, it's translated as young man. 44 times it's translated as boy. 33 times it's translated as lad. 54 times it's translated as servant. So which is it? I also find it interesting. Uh, if you look at Genesis 14, 24, in fact, let's let's turn there. So leave your fingers here and flip back to Genesis 14. Genesis 14, I'll give you a second to turn there. Genesis 14, 24. This is where... Um, Abraham's nephew, Lot, is living in Sodom and the kings from the east come and conquer and they take Lot and his family and a whole bunch of possessions and they take them north. Uh, And Abraham, Abram at this time, goes and rescues him. So verse 24, uh, this is where um, the king is offering to Abram uh, spoils from uh, what he has rescued And Abraham said to King Sodom with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap or a sandal so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. That word is near my men. It's referred to as men in Genesis 14 23, 24, excuse me. Ne'er means men, it uses men in this situation. Uh, Depending on your translation, it might say uh, um, servants is another translation that I saw or young men is also there. Uh, Flipping back to Genesis 22, this word actually occurs, ne'er occurs five times in uh, chapter 22. It's in verse three, uh, two of his servants, that's that same word, ne'er, and then again, verse five says, "He said to his servants." That's Ne'er. He said to his servants, "Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy." Uh, and then on verse twelve, which we already had, but then um, again, it is also in verse eighteen and through. Excuse me, that's offspring. Nineteen servants. Then Abraham returned to his servants. That's all the same word. The point being is, is that Ne'er, as a term, can mean anything from someone who's 14, 15 years old, a teenager, right at the very beginning of that, all the way to 35. So verse 1, sometime later, scholars believe that Isaac at this point is not a little boy. He's not six or seven years old. He is likely somewhere between 25 and 35 years old. So from a context standpoint, this boy is not a boy. He is a young man. He's a man. He's a straight up man at this point. What we know then from that context is that Isaac is totally submissive to his father, submissive in a good way, out of respect. He carries the wood for his father. He allows his father to bind him. If he's 25 to 35 years old, that also means that Abraham is 125 to 135 years old because Isaac was born when Abraham was 100. Now, this is also when people were living longer still, but he's an old man. If if Isaac wanted to overpower his father, he easily could have and prevented himself from being bound. Uh, Verse 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. Is that term? The Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh, and that is the big picture point. We have Abraham was faithful, but we also have the Lord will provide, and we'll come back to that. Uh, I laughed when I read verse sixteen. So verse fifteen, the angel of the Lord called to Abram, Abraham, excuse me, from heaven a second time and said, "I swear by myself," declares the Lord, "that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son." And the reason why I laughed is is that when you swear, you swear on something that is truly great, greater than yourself, something that is of true value, Uh, a saying that some people say, I've never said it, but I swear on my mother's grave, right? Whatever, that is a saying that people will say. What is greater than God? What is the greatest thing that can ever be sworn on? God is God, he's the most powerful. And so God says, I swear on myself, the most powerful being in all existence, uh the almighty who was who is who will be uh etc i just i think that's pretty cool that god acknowledges the fact that the biggest thing i can swear are is around myself then we have in verse 17 through 18 uh i will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me This is a further ratification and reestablishment, emphasizing of the Abrahamic covenant. The different verses of the Abrahamic covenant, if you haven't been following along, Genesis 12, two through three is outlying of the covenant, which is very, it's just those two verses where it says, I will make you into a mighty nation. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. That's pretty much it. Uh, then you have Genesis 15 is the cutting of covenant. Genesis 17 is uh, the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. Uh, Genesis 15 also includes the laying out of what the promised land is. The Abrahamic covenant includes specifics of the, the promised land that Israel still to this day has never actually occupied or use that term, occupied. They've never actually possessed the entirety of the promised land. They will in the Melinda kingdom. And then in Genesis 22, we have Abraham being tested and the Abrahamic covenant being reaffirmed that I will make you into a mighty nation. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. We'll come back to that as well. Then we have this last little chunk, verse 20 through uh, 24, what is this? It's this little tidbit of random information. You know how when you're watching a movie and you have uh, one character is established, right? You open on this boy who's running through a field and he runs home and you meet the parents and there's some sort of a conflict and you establish very clearly, okay, this is a plot that's happening in this movie. Then you suddenly, Are somewhere completely different and there's a girl that's there you have no idea who she is but you establish context of who that person is well that's what this is and the reason uh, why we can know that well just if you look through it right Nahor has 12 sons who is Nahor it says right here uh, she has born sons to your brother Nahor okay so Abraham's brother is Nahor Uh, We had the establishment, uh, I think it's chapter 11, uh, mentions Abram's uh, descendants, Abraham's uh, family, and Nahor is his brother. Nahor has a wife, uh, Milcah, and Milcah has eight sons. And then he has a concubine, and through his concubine, he has uh, four sons, right? So these 12 sons, they do mirror... Uh, the 12 tribes of Israel right and we also did see that Ishmael has 12 sons as well uh, it's a common common theme that you see is the 12 tribes 12 sons 12 etc but who is the only daughter that's mentioned here a girl named Rebecca you have three women that are mentioned in this lineage this quick little lineage in in uh, four verses you have uh, Nahor's uh, wife his concubine and then one girl is mentioned Bethuel became the father of Rebecca Rebecca this is establishing who Rebecca is uh, because in verse 24 excuse me in chapter 24 Isaac is going to uh, um, Abraham's going to send his uh, lead servant to go and get a spouse a wife for his son Isaac and Rebecca is that woman. So this little chunk in those four verses establishes Rebecca. We now have another plot, if you're looking at it from a movie perspective, that we'll come back to and they will, they'll connect as they do in movies in chapter 24. So what is the point of chapter 22? Why does God test Abraham? That's clearly what it is uh, Abraham tested is the title that, that my NIV gives. So why does God test Abraham? Why? There's a few different theories that are out there. There's a few different reasons for this, but the big picture takeaway is that Abraham is going to be the father of the Israelites, right? He is the patriarch where all Israel look back to him, So God is establishing what faith looks like. What does faith look like in God? What does faith, uh, true faith, look like? Abraham's, uh, the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham has believed God the entire time. But one of the things is, is that all elements of the Abrahamic covenant are a blessing to Abraham. So there's this question, did Abraham believe God simply because all of the things that God promised him were all blessings. I will make you into a mighty nation. Anybody who blesses you, I will bless. Anybody who curses you, I will curse. All those are great things for Abraham. This is the first time where Abraham is asked to sacrifice something truly great. And through this, Abraham is shown to be faithful and faith, true faith is shown for Israel to look at and to say, what does true faith look like? I want to read what uh, Walton has to say on this um, from the NIV Application Commentary on Genesis. The test, uh, the, the test is one of obedience and trust. In essence, it is a test of Abraham's relationship with Yahweh. It asks whether Abraham's true trust is really in God and not simply in what God has promised. Abraham has built altars before and sacrificed to this God when God renewed the promises. Is he willing now to build an altar and sacrifice the promises themselves embodied in his son in order to demonstrate his uh, unswavering trust in God who stands behind the promises? Has Abraham's faith been motivated by personal gain or simply by his love for God? Maybe Abraham himself does not know for sure. This test allows the patriarch to demonstrate to himself, to Isaac, to the world, but most of all to God, that his faith is not driven by what he will receive out of it, but by his commitment to God. God and God alone motivates his faith. He is willing to give up all he stands to gain, all he loves, all he hopes for. Abraham's faith is not only demonstrated in his willingness to obey the command, but in also uh, evident in the confidence he shows that somehow the situation will be favorably resolved. What does what does Walton talk about here? Uh, we see verse five. Verse five, uh, Abraham says to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. This right here is a sign that Abraham believes that God can resurrect his son. What do I mean by that? Abraham believes so strongly in God's power, God has told him, I want you to kill your son, I want you to sacrifice your son. Abraham says, okay, I will do this. And in my research, I discovered that is actually from a historical standpoint, um, this was a practice in the culture at the time, in the pagan cultures, to uh, sacrifice the firstborn son uh, to the gods uh, for future fertility. Now, that's not why Abraham is doing this, but it wasn't uncommon uh, in the culture of the time. But still, it is an outlandish request, and Abraham says, okay, I will do this. But then verse five, he says to the two servants, I'm gonna take my son, we're gonna go worship, and we're gonna come back. It's from this that we know that Abraham believes God can do all things. God will still fulfill the covenant, the promise that he made that through his son Isaac, he will make a mighty nation and the whole world will be blessed through Isaac. Isaac clearly hasn't had any kids yet. So the only result is, is that God is going to resurrect him from the dead. You might see, hear me say this and be like, oh, come on, Dave. Abraham is simply saying this because he doesn't want to freak out his son. He doesn't want to say, okay, uh, the boy and I are going to go over here and then I will be back. Because then Isaac would be like, uh, dad, where am I going? No, the reason why I know this with absolute certainty is context of Scripture. The Old Testament is full of pictures that are explained in the New Testament. And to show what I mean, why don't you flip with me to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Verse 17, Hebrews 11, 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham believed God and was so faithful that he believed not only would God answer the promise that he said he would do in Genesis 12, but that God loved him and would follow through with that promise and that he'd bring Isaac back from the dead. That's how strong Abraham's faith was. Coming back to Genesis 22. As I said, The Old Testament is full of pictures that are brought to reality that are explained in the New Testament. New Testament truths are explained in pictures in the Old Testament. This is a perfect example of that. Genesis 22 did happen. It did happen that Abraham took his son Isaac on the top of Mount Moriah But when you look at it, there's so much detail that the author puts in. Moses, when he's writing this, he he gives so many details. Uh, Abraham had the fire and the knife, uh, the the donkey. uh, All these very, very specific details are there for a reason. This is an Old Testament story that actually happened, but it's an allegory. It is uh, fulfilled in the New Testament. It is a New Testament truth. It is a picture, it is a picture of God's love for us. Let me show you what I mean. We established last week, Isaac and Christ. So in Genesis 22, as the picture goes, Abraham is God the Father, and Isaac is Jesus, God's son, right? So you have the Father and you have the Son. We established last week when we talked about the similarities between the promised Uh, son, both Isaac and Jesus being the promised son. Um, Both of them are born uh, or or, uh, conceived in miraculous manner. Uh, Sarah was barren her entire life, and she'd gone through menopause, and yet she becomes pregnant. Mary was a virgin. You can go back and watch last week. We established that there's a lot of similarities that are there. Okay, so this illustration that we have, look at Isaac as Jesus, and look at Abraham as God the Father. And now I'm going to go through this and paint the similarities. Verse 2, we have love's first mention. I already went over that. The first mention of love in the Old Testament is Genesis 22, verse 2. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Do you know what the first mention in the New Testament is of love? I'll leave a marker here and we're going to go to it. It's in Matthew. So flip to Matthew. And we are going to go to... Matthew 3.16. Matthew 3.16 is the first mention of the word love in the New Testament. What is happening here? While you flip uh, Matthew 3.16, this is where Jesus goes to be baptized. He goes into the water of the Jordan. John the Baptist is there baptizing, and John says, I need to baptize you. And Jesus says, no, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is uh, baptized, and as he comes out of the water, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. The first mention in the New Testament of the word love is in reference to God's love for his Son, Jesus. You know what the first mention in Mark is? We don't have to, you don't have to turn there. Mark 1 11, you are my son whom I love. Also, same story, Jesus being baptized. First mention in Luke, same story. You are my son whom I love. Luke three twenty First mention in the fourth gospel, in the gospel of John, is not when Jesus get baptized. The story of Jesus' baptism is told from John the Baptist's perspective in John, and he doesn't use the word love. What is the first mention in the book of John of the word love? Well, let's turn there. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Flip to it. give you a second. John chapter 3. Context, while you're flipping there. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee and had questions and was listening to Jesus and had questions for Jesus. And so he approaches him and they meet at night because Nicodemus does not want the other Pharisees to see. And Nicodemus asks him this question about being born again. Jesus mentions being born again and Nicodemus asks, what does it mean to be born again? Surely I can't go back into my mother's womb. And that's what chapter three is all about. But look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The first mention in the book of John is God's love for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's no coincidence, the use of love throughout the Bible. This book is Alive, it is living, it is miraculous. And when we do a word study on the word love, it's amazing. The first mention is here in Genesis 22, verse 2, a father's love for his son. The first mention in the New Testament, God's love for his son. Matthew, Mark, Luke, God's love for his son. John, God's love for us. Mount Moriah, we mentioned this before. Mount Moriah, King David builds the city of David. His son Solomon builds the temple right next to the city of David, right? So Jerusalem is on Mount Moriah. There's an outcropping of rocks at the very top. It's very small. Jerusalem is is very, very small. Everything is very close, and it's all on one massive hillside. And there's an outcropping of rock at the very top. That is what is known as Golgotha or Calvary, depending. So Golgotha is... Uh, let me find it here. Uh, Matthew uh, twenty-seven thirty-three, place of the skull. Golgotha is that word. In uh, the King James version of Luke twenty-three thirty-three is where we get the word Calvary. Some scholars believe, and I I agree with it, the exact same spot where Abraham was going to sacrifice his son Isaac is the spot. Where Jesus, God's son, would be sacrificed for us. Now, it's some nearly 2,000 years later that this happens, 1,980 years roughly, somewhere in there, uh, is the time frame between uh, what happens with Isaac in Genesis 22 and Jesus being uh, crucified. But how awesome and insane is that? God knew that. It's the same spot. Uh, verse three, the donkey, uh, there are a lot of, uh, similarities. I'm not going to go into all of them, but, uh, Jesus, when he entered Jerusalem, when he traveled, uh, to Jerusalem and came up to Mount Moriah, the temple Mount Jerusalem, he did it on donkey And we see Abraham do the same thing. It's very likely, we don't see it from scripture, but it's very likely Isaac may have actually uh, been sitting on the donkey for a period of time. I don't know that, but we see the similarities there. Mark 1 through 11 is where you can read of Jesus riding in on a donkey. Boy, we mentioned this, verse five, that word. Okay, right, so we know that Isaac is somewhere between 25 and 35. The important takeaway from that is is that we know that Isaac was obedient to his father. Jesus was obedient to his father. Jesus wasn't, uh, everything that happened to him, he did willingly. He didn't fight it when he was arrested, when he was bound, when he was crucified. Uh, The trial, when he was tortured, all of it. He didn't fight back. He let it all happen because he knew uh, what the consequences were, what this was going to do for us today. Jesus knew very, very well what he was doing. The point here is, is that Isaac was obedient to his father. Jesus was obedient to his father. John 10, 17 through 18. You don't need to flip there. I'll read it. John 10, 17 through 18. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Jesus could have easily uh, uh, broken the binds uh, that, that bound him. Uh, he also could have easily called in a legion of, of angels uh, to, to rescue him at, at a moment's notice. He is fully God, fully man. He had the capability of doing that, and he didn't do that. He did not do that. And Hebrews, one of my favorite verses is Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12.2, if you go on a little bit. So Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the sin and everything that hinders us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of faith. Verse 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame. For the joy. So not only was he obedient to God the Father to go to the cross, but he did it in joy. He sacrificed himself for the joy. The joy is knowing the salvation that was brought for me and for you. That's where the joy comes in. Okay. uh, Verse six, the wood, Uh, Isaac, the the, verse six, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac. Isaac literally carried the wood that he would be sacrificed on if God didn't stay Abraham's hand. Jesus carried the cross that he would be sacrificed on as well. Uh, You can look at that. John 19, 17, Uh, Jesus carried the wood, uh, the cross that he would be sacrificed on. Verse six, Abraham carried the fire. I'm not going to go into that, but there's an illustration throughout the Bible, fire has very big significance, and you can do a word study on that in reference to the Holy Spirit. But later on, when, it, when God establishes the Levitical priesthood and the temple system, the tabernacle system and the temple system, God provides the fire. You can get that from Leviticus 9.24. God provides the fire in the same way Abraham brings the fire with him whole other study you can do on that. Uh, verse eight, God will provide himself a lamb. Verse eight, Abraham. So, uh, Isaac asks, we have the fire and we have the wood dad, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And then in my NIV, it says God himself will provide the lamb. If you have a King James, it says God will provide himself a lamb. It's interesting. Uh, phrase there is what we have, I have in my NIV is God himself will provide the lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. Do you see the difference there? God does provide. And it's interesting is, is that does Abraham receive a lamb? Abraham says right here to his son, uh, God will provide a lamb. I think the reason why a ram is provided and not a lamb, is that Abraham doesn't even realize that he's prophesying here. He is saying that God will provide himself as a lamb. And we know from scripture that that John the Baptist, when when he sees uh, uh, Jesus approaching, he says, behold, the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. I believe that's in John 1. Jesus is the lamb of God. Abraham, whether he knows it or not, is saying that God will provide himself a lamb. And I believe the reason why a lamb is not provided is to emphasize the fact that that lamb is Jesus Christ. Verse 18, uh, through your offspring, through your offspring, this word, so uh, if you have the King James, it says seed through thy seed. The King James says, and in thy seed singular, that word is the air and, uh, leave a finger here and go with me to Galatians three Galatians chapter three, that's John Galatians chapter three. Uh, for context, this is uh, Paul's uh, letter of corrections to the Galatians. The Galatians, the, the purpose of the letter of, uh, to the Galatians is that the Galatians are falling back on the law uh, and the old covenant, um, and Paul is is um, pleading with them uh, not to fall back on that on their old ways. But within that, um, verse sixteen, the promises were spoken to Abraham to his seed, singular. Scripture does not say to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduces 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promises. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. You can, it's a whole separate study and conversation on dependence on the law. The important thing is here is that we get context from New Testament. Paul is telling us, scripture does not say to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Flipping back to Genesis 22. And through your seed, your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This further emphasizes that Genesis 12, 2, that promise of the Abrahamic covenant, that the entire world would be blessed, is through Jesus Christ. The ultimate fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant is on uh, Calvary. Jesus going to the cross, through that, the entire world, all creation is blessed. So, as we wrap up, I think it's very clear that Genesis 22, we see Abraham tested and we see what true faith is. And the question is, how much do you believe and trust in God? Do you believe him when he says that that he won't forsake you? Do you believe him when you're going through a hard trial to know that it's going to be okay? No matter what you're going through, God is with you through it and he'll pull you through. Do you believe that even if you get cancer, even if you die, God is sovereign and you're going to go to heaven? That is the question for this week to think on, to pray on, to have a discussion with your small group about. How much do you trust God? How strong is your faith when something uh, is tossed in your path? When you get a flat tire? When when something seems uh, to to just get in your path? How frustrated do you are you with that? How easily are you derailed? How easily do you uh, uh, challenge God and question God? Do you trust God? And we also see in Genesis 22, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Abraham is challenged in a way that I don't think many fathers could ever uh, pass this test, being willing to sacrifice their son. Abraham was going to kill his son because God told him to, but God provides God provided for you and for me a way out from the, the, the bondage of sin, the, the, the weight of sin. Uh, as, as I said in Hebrews 12, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. I love that illustration. We're trying to run this race, but the sin is just on us. It's bearing us down. It's binding us up. It's preventing us to, 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 from running the life that God has for us. You, as a Christ follower, are free from the law of sin and death. You are no longer bound by that. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Let go of the sinful lifestyle. Romans twelve two, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be renewed, uh, be restored by the renewing of your mind. Do not get caught into this battle of uh, the flesh versus the spirit that we we go through every single day. Let it go, follow God, release yourself from, from the sin and just simply trust. No matter what challenges you are facing today, you have the hope of heaven. You know that God is on your side and that those that love him and are called according to his purpose, everything works for good. So that's my call today as we study Genesis 22 is to realize Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. And there isn't a single thing that you can go through today or in your lifetime that that can take your faith away from you or that can overpower the love that God has for you shown in the sacrifice that God himself made in coming down to earth in the flesh and dying for us. Join me in prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are the God that provides. Thank you seems so small and trivial a thing to say, but I say thank you. Lord, I pray for each person that is listening and watching this right now that we will have the faith that Abraham has, that we will trust in you with anything and everything, no matter how big the challenge is, we can have joy in our life because we know you are with us and that you will provide That no matter how bad things get, Jehovah Jireh, you are the God who provides, you love us, and even if we die, it is the greatest thing because we get to be with you. Thank you, Lord, for that. We love you, and we praise your name, Lord. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a big, hefty chapter, I know. Uh, Think on this, discuss it, pray on it. Read ahead uh, as we go through Genesis 23 and 24. Uh, I love you guys. I'll see you next week.